Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, welcome. And uh, uh, let's uh, let's get started. I am um, I'm going to for the last time, I think, at least as as a matter of course, uh, I'm just going to start uh, by uh, checking in a little bit. I, I have been doing this. Um, it's now been over a month since the massacre in Israel, and we had our first Parsha class um, just that just that week. It was Parshat Bereshit um, because the massacre took place on Simchat Torah. So we were starting the Torah over again, and here we are in the first Parsha of the year. And so ever since then, every week, I am not just teaching a class, I'm sort of processing what it even means to teach Torah in the midst of such um, calamity. And, uh, you know, so you have been <laughs> indulging me, you're, you know, uh, if you if you come on this Zoom, um, you, uh, you've been indulging me that as I spend the first few minutes of, of, of each of these last four weeks, um, just trying to figure out where I'm at and what it means to teach in uh, to teach Torah in this moment, and I and I and I, I think I'm going to do that one last time. Um, um, now that we're past the shloshim, I think a lot of us feel like we are um, trying to, to create some kind of normal um, rhythm again in our our lives, uh, uh, though. The, it, that also feels too soon. It is, after all, uh, I say 30 days because we're in this state of mourning. Um, and um, and mourning doesn't end at 30 days, but there is some marker of, you you know. So anyway, um, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, reclaim my life rhythms a little bit. And certainly one of them is the Parsha. And what I've been struggling with all along in this last month, and I've you've heard me talk about it before, is some um, some spectrum of approaches to teaching Torah um, under the shadow of of trauma. And one end of that spectrum is um, to try to distract yourself, to just ignore it, and just get lost in Torah. And that, that has a, a value, um, but that has felt um, uh, too frivolous somehow. Torah is always meaningful, but somehow that Torah's distraction has not felt right. And then on the other end of the spectrum is Torah as a tool to think through the issue of the day. Um, and uh, that has felt too... Um, raw and and loaded and i have not been able to do that exactly either so what i have found myself doing as i've taught torah in these la in this last month with with of course the conviction that we must teach torah always we must learn torah always no matter what is happening i found myself sort of somewhere in the middle where i i i i, I teach and learn um torah that is relevant but maybe not directly relevant you know, we've been talking about war, and we've been talking about pain, um, and we've been talking about loss, and um, and we've been talking about ancient feuds, 
um, and, and stuff that feels very relevant just with an awareness of everything that's that's still going on in the background. Um, maybe it's in the foreground. Maybe that's the maybe that's the maybe that's actually the the dilemma here. But um, but I uh, I, 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 I this week um, I think I wanted after just I mean a month of feeling I've just, I've not been well. You know I have just not been well. You know, what's that, that? Not sick, but not well. And um, and so I've wanted a little bit to get back into the to the joy of of Torah. And so <laughs> the I, I wrote a piece this week on um, Parshat Chayesara, um, which was <laughs> just all about camels. Um, and so um, so that's like one offering. I'll put it in the chat right now. Um, and just the symbolism of camels, which seem to surround Rebecca as we as we meet her this week. So there's like a, just camels, you know what I mean? And the meaning of camels and and as a symbolic uh, animal in the Torah. So um, so take a look at that. And if you're not subscribed to those um, weekly um, Divrei Torah that I'm writing this year, and you like the Parsha stuff that we do uh, together um, here. Uh, Here's a here's a, a link to sign up for for that. Um, yeah, I'm writing I'm writing an essay a week this year, um, which is definitely um, a, a massive undertaking <laughs> I'm finding. But um, but uh, but but you know if you're really a Parsha junkie like me, then you'll enjoy the essay on Tuesday and then the class on Thursday. And sometimes they are related, but they're never exactly the same. Okay. So with all that in mind, what I uh, what I was drawn to think about this week, and there are don't don't get me wrong, there are there are again rele relevant almost immediately relevant um, 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 sections of our parsha this week. Um, most obviously, perhaps this is the parsha um, uh, in which we lose Sarah, our matriarch Sarah. And um, and Abraham mourns Sarah, um, gives eulogy and cries and um, and all of those rites and rituals begin to become uh, begin to to become established in in this week's parsha. And those those things are some of the things that Abraham did. We are still doing as we grieve our dead to today. And so there's certainly a through line there. Um, but the uh, that so uh, that is that, that was my my long winded sort of uh, check in and I I appreciate your and I think to hopefully next week I might even be in a space where I just come in and start teaching but I have needed that um, that kind of orienting moment um, what I want to do this week with all that said and with the desire to enjoy some of the the grandeur and magic of Torah. Um, I want. I, I was drawn to look at something that is related to Sarah's um, death, and specifically to her burial. And that is to look a little bit at the the legends of uh, of the cave uh, in which she was buried, the cave which um, uh, and which is sometimes called the cave of the patriarchs. In Hebrew, it's Marata Machpelah. Um, the cave of of doubling, uh, which we'll soon talk about, and um, 
And that cave is in Hebron, the city of Hebron, um, which the Torah names. So it's like, you know, here I was like winding up to do this kind of more fan fantasy oriented kind of symbolic dreamlike exploration. And then, of course, you can't avoid it. I mean, it, it is relevant. And it, there's that cave st still stands in the West Bank. And it's, um, you know, the, it, and it turns out we will come up against material um, that is that does feel very relevant to uh, to everything that's going on in the world and in Israel. How can we not? This book, this book, after all, takes place in Israel. So, um, so there's no real getting away, and 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 that's probably for the best. But I also have some intention that we will just enjoy some of the greatest, greatest legends that our tradition, our rabbis have um, have brought to us that center around um, this cave. Which, after all, I guess I'll just say this, and then we'll say a blessing and dive in. What what could what could call forth a legend more um, more um, than than a cave? There's something about a cave that is it in it in its very form and essence um, bespeaking a kind of mystery. I mean, the, the whole the whole object of the cave uh, feels to us like some portal to the unknown what is inside there and what mysteries are hidden inside any any cave that we encounter so that sort of thinking that sort of instinctual i think response to the to the cave as a as a form of cave after all so so iconic that we refer to the ancient sometimes as cave people right so um so we're gonna think a little bit about the the as I thought in this week's essay about the the image of the camel, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna take us into a little bit of thinking about the image of the cave, and uh, we'll see where we we'll see where we go. Okay, thank you for for in, indulging my my need for <laughs> like co-opting the first ten minutes here for my therapy. So I appreciate it. Okay, say a little blessing and just try to center ourselves into um, into Torah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Okay, that's the blessing over Torah. We say it in the morning for those of us um, who haven't said it yet today. Um, it's like, a, it's, a way, it's a way of recognizing that this thing that we're about to um, embark upon is not just um, fun and not just intellectual and not just uh, um, 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 uh, information, but it's, it's, a, it's a sacred act. Okay, so let's begin. Um, uh, what I want to just start with uh, some the, some of the opening verses in this week's parsha, which um, very quickly take us to this cave. Um, uh, so let's see where it's first mentioned, and then we'll we'll kind of we'll we'll lay out all the pieces that we need for legend building. So um, there's a source sheet for today. Let's take a look. Um, this is. Uh, this is the uh, uh, the first, uh, or I should say, the second few verses, because the first few verses have Sarah dying and Abraham um, mourning, wailing, um, eulogizing, and then Abraham gets up from mourning and immediately turns to um, a, 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 a need uh, that um, that is that he that is. 
um, that is in front of him, and that is the um, the need to purchase a, a burial plot for Sarah. Because after all, um, I am a I am a a foreigner, and I just I I've been dwelling here amongst you all. He says, but I don't own an I don't. I don't own, I'm from another land and I don't own a burial plot here. Um, and that anxiety of what it's like to be a foreigner and, and trying to trying to bury your dead, that is, that's where we find Abraham. Okay. Um, and we find him with the Hittites. Okay. So here is Abraham in conversation with the Hittites. Okay. There, then, thereupon, Abraham bowed low to the people of the land, the Hittites, and he said to them, if it is your wish that I remove my dead for, for burial, I bury my dead in front of me, or from in front of me, you must agree to intercede with me with um, Ephron, son of Tzohar. Okay, and here it is. Um, let him sell me the cave of Machpelah. And we'll spend um, some time, uh, I already said what this means. We'll spend some time unpacking it in a sec. Um, but the cave of Machpelah is our, um, our focus point for today. Let him sell me the cave of Machpelah that he owns, which is at the edge of his land. And let, it let him sell it to me at the full price for a burial in your midst. Okay. And the, the phrase in, 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 in Hebrew here is uh, achuzat kever, or achuzat kever, which uh, uh, it's more than just a burial site. It's kind of a burial holding. Okay. It's a burial plot that uh, as we see in, our, you know, in our, in our, in our own society, sometimes people buy a plot and have land that that multiple members of the family can be buried in a kind of a holding. And that's, and that is exactly where we're headed with, um, with this story as well. And, um, and so let's, let's just go straight into the commentaries and uh, get into the, the legend of the cave. And then uh, we're going to spend most of our time, not as we usually do picking through the language of the Torah, but actually um, picking through the, the 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 language of the of the legends that have emerged from the from the Torah. So let's let's just get into those legends here. And the person who will help us get into it, um, no surprise, is Rashi, our 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 most fam famous um, and maybe our most favorite commentator, um, who brings some legends uh, as he usually does from the Midrash, and he. Uh, is playing on the language of Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah, the cave of literally doubling, or the cave that doubles, the cave that is doubled, right? So some kind of pairing in this cave. And Rashi gives two possible explanations of that naming, and one's much more um, matter-of-fact and practical. Oh, bait uh, va'aliyah al-gabav. It was uh, one section and then another section on top. It was a two a floor cave it had an upper a lower and an upper cavern and that's why it was called a doubled cave fair enough that's 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 one way to think of it but uh there's another explanation rashi's going to give us uh kind of you'll see uh, rashi is giving us the story and then the backstory 
okay? Okay, the story is is just that it had a, an upper and a lower section, but the backstory or the, that's not the right term, the, the, um, the maybe, because he says, he doesn't say this is the backstory, he says another possibility here. Maybe it was called the cave of doubling because it was doubled up with pairs. Shikfula bezugot. It was doubled up with pairs. Okay. Zugot is pairs like we'd say a pair, like two lovers who, you know, couple off. So it was doubled with pairs. So who are these pairs? Okay. We could see the legends that are that are that are built around this image and 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 we could get all the names there but actually before we go there we can find what we need in the in the text of the torah um uh let's see here um rashi uh is going to spell it out for us um rashi says that i want i want to i i i i i'll give you the this is the this is the the TLDR here. Too long, don't read. This is the like. Rashi is going to tell us what these um, what the the these who these couples are, because the place where they um, where Sarah is uh, uh, is bare or dies is Kiryat Arba, which then becomes called Hebron. But Kiryat Arba, which literally means the city of four. And again, there's there's a there's a plain story because well the plain story in it, in itself is kind of wild, but there were four giants who lived there, four huge people that lived there, um, and Rashi names them, Achiam, Sheshai, Talmi, Vaavihem. But there's another explanation, which is that it was called the city of the four after the four couples who were buried there, husband and wife, Ishvi Ishto, and these are the four couples that were buried there. Um, so he here's the names. The names are Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. Okay. Now, you probably, something is, some kind of signal is going off, right, in your head if you're looking at that list. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, Abraham and Sarah and, but Adam and Eve? Did we say Adam and Eve? <laughs> like, okay, so hold on that. We'll come back to Adam and Eve. But let's take a look at, we know Ab we know Sarah is being buried in this cave. How do we know Abraham and these others are? Well, actually, that information is in the Torah as well. Um, at the end of this week's Parsha, Abraham breathed his last, dying at a good ripe age, old and contented, and he was gathered to his kin. That that language, by the way, is seems kind of cave-like. Via Asif El Amav, he was gathered um, to his kin. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, son of Tzohar, the Hittite facing Mamre, the field that Abraham bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. So it's explicit in the Torah. Abraham and Sarah are in that cave. Okay, that's explicit. And then it's also explicit at the end of Genesis, that Jacob asks uh, his children to, when he died, remember he dies in Egypt, but J Jacob asks his children to bring him back to, um, to Canaan and put him in that cave. 
He instructed them, saying to them, I am about to be gathered to my kin. Same language there, gathered to my kin. Buried, bury me with my ancestors in the cave which is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave which is in the field of Machpelah, facing Mamre in the land of Canaan, the field that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. So all of that, like this is now a reference point that the characters in the Torah are using. And here's the other information we need from this passage. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebecca were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it bought from the Hittites. Okay? Okay. So now we've got a lot of information. In the Torah itself, it becomes clear that this wasn't just a plot of land for Sarah, but there, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca. This is like, we've got two of the four couples that Rashi named. Jacob and Leah, there's three, not Rachel. Why? Because she died on the road to Ephrat. On the, she, so they had to bury her there. Um, we've got three couples, Adam and Eve. We still might be wondering, how did Adam and Eve get in the mix? But let's just pause here and think before we get into the more um, um, fan, fanciful and, um, and mystical um, um, imaginings uh, of the cave. Let's just stop and think for a moment about this cave itself and what it means to secure a place. And then for, like, let's take Jacob's perspective. For Jacob to be saying, I am in Egypt, but I've got to get back to that cave. I want to be in that cave with my, my wife, my parents, and my grandparents, okay? And I don't like, I don't know if I have a a sharp question here, but I want I do want to pause and just think about the meaning of a burial plot and of 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 Abraham's intention to secure a place that might be a gathering place. I said gathered to his kin, a gathering place for the family, the significance of that. So let me just pause in case I've been now been talking so far. Does anyone have a thought on on all of that? It's not a, that's not really a good question, but I want to I want to give a, a a pause before we get any deeper here. Okay, all right. Noah Pollock. Well, seeing no one else coming to mind for me is that Abraham he wanted to establish like in other cultures a family crypt. Like we have all this mythology from the ancient Greeks, ancient Romans about families being buried in the family crypt and then maybe rising up. But it's like also in Eastern traditions with the ancestor worship that they go to these burial sites and pray to their ancestors. So maybe they wanted all of the family together to be buried there as a family and as a resting place. So there's no fear of ancestral loneliness good beautiful noah uh, such good I'm so, I'm so glad to pause and receive that um helpful um fra framing from noah because yes first of all we are identifying a a a, a, a rite and a ritual that that is shared by many cultures the idea of a, a crypt or a burial plot or a um a holding place for the family for the 
for the ants, for all of our ancestors to be located in one place. And Noah's right also to suggest, I mean, you talk about ancestor worship in some cultures. And that's like, there's something delicate about that, um, that um, association for, for us. Remember, Moses is famously, nobody knows where Moses is buried so that we won't go worship at his grave. Well, now we've got a grave site with all of our patriarchs and matriarchs. Surely that's going to become a kind of a um, a, a, a site for, for, well, for what? For what spiritual, I mean, that actually is the question. How will we direct our, our spiritual and emotional energies toward this site? Right. Okay, let's take... Uh, another comment from Ari. I'll give you a very Freudian reading, right? Which is, um, me almost seems womb-like, right? There's something about returning to where we're from, right? And there is, of course, an Adam sense, dust to dust, right? And to me, it signals, there was this great documentary that was on Nat Geo recently about these ancient, ancient people that buried people, um, buried people in a cave. But there's something like almost hopeful of it and almost signifying rebirth to me of, you know, why do you want to be with them? Not necessarily for not only for an afterlife, but for the possibility of a next life. Um, and the symbology of it to me seems like that. Good, good, good. Beautiful. Um, Ari takes us into a kind of psychological um, analysis and that that prepares us very well for where we're headed. The idea of the cave as a, as a womb, as a kind of, um, a kind of return to some primal state where you are like in the womb, you're in darkness and you're huddled up and you are surrounded by your um, people, right? In the womb, literally by your mother and in the cave somehow gathered together with your, with your people, right? Okay, good. So that's, that's good preparation. One more comment, and then and then we'll 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 dive into the more mystical, um, more mystical um, un, un, unpacking here um, from uh, Hannah. This might be too far off track. Just if if it is okay, um, uh, the the burial site of several of the patriarchs. I'm not sure, matriarchs. I'm not sure if it's all of them. Is now in a building in Hebron and I don't understand how it, we went from a cave to a building in the I, I don't know what happened there because they treat it like where it's spoken of as if this that building and those cement uh, or whatever they are is is the burial site were they dug up and moved or is it totally fake or and maybe it's yeah. too off track for this that is uh, that is too off track. Although it, it the, for us to get too deep into. Also, I'm simply not equipped. I have some sense that there there's buildings around the the cave, starting with Herod and into the Byzantine period, and on and on and on. This has been a site that has been fortified and guarded and reclaimed, and yes, is continues to be um, a site. Um, Right, the Arabs also have a name for the, something Ibrahim, like, and it's sacred to them as well. And so, um, so yes, there's a whole history there that it's not, it, it's not off track. It's just a parallel track, and uh, and I'm not the right person to take us through it. But but 
definitely a, an important question and worthy, I think, probably for, of, all, of all of our post-class investigation here. Um, okay, so let's that let's now head into um, uh, the, the 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 layer of of legends, and I I say legends not to mean true and untrue, but just to mean um, there are. Um, there are stories that our people have carried down um, and they express both our um, our wonderings about what this cave might might hold um, and also um, um, the, 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 the meaning of, of that for us. So um, let's start with one that I think I think this is probably the one that you will, enjoy the text that you will enjoy the most today because it is just so rich and, and talk about psychological this has this is this has this is this is fertile um ground for our um for our psychological investigations here so um this is from the zohar the mystical the the, the central uh, test text of jewish mysticism but also a very um a very sophisticated Torah commentator and very aware of the story of the Torah. So let's take a look here at um, at the question that we have not yet addressed, which is how did Adam and Eve get into that cave? Well, well four, there were four couples. Is it just because the city was the city of four that we had to come up with another one and there were only three patriarchs and matriarchs? There's one extra matriarch, but we only have three. Maybe we only have three, so we have to go back to Adam and Eve. Right? How do we get to Adam and Eve? Okay, here's here's the here's the here's the legend. Rabbi Yehuda said the, Zo the Zohar says Rabbi Yehuda said Abraham knew a sign uh, indicating that very cave, and his heart longed to be there. Velibe uruute tamanhava. His his heart and his desire were there. They were there. This is like already such a an evocative uh, image here. Abraham had some secret sign, some code, some tradition. What does it even mean to say that Abraham had a sign? But he knew that the cave was there and he wanted to be there. Why? Because before this, he had entered there and seen Adam and Eve were hidden there. He had seen Adam and Eve were hidden there. Tmirina Taman. They were hidden there. They were buried there. And how did he know it was them? Good question, right? I mean, the, they are certainly not, uh, they, they don't look like they did when they were alive. How did they know? Uh, how did he know it was them? Because when he looked upon the figure of Adam, Suddenly, the gate to the Garden of Eden opened up before him. And then he understood that it was Adam who was there in front of him. Okay. I mean, goodness. I, this is like, we need inter interpreters, okay? So ready yourself. What, what does this mean? Ready yourselves. But um, this, this idea that he saw the figure of Adam, that, that phrase is in itself uh, requires some interpreting. What does that mean? But that's the phrase 
uh, that phrase is is important, and and the rest of the of the the piece from the Zohar here picks up on that. Vitachaze, come and see, come and behold. This is now this now becomes almost like a a curse, like you could see it at the beginning of a horror movie. Whoever sees the figure of Adam cannot escape death. Whoever sees man de istakal bediyukana da Adam, whoever sees the figure of Adam cannot uh, escape death. For a person sees Adam the moment that he dies and passes from the world. Okay, how about that? The moment you die, the thing that you see is the figure of Adam. And what does that mean exactly? But Abraham looked him, looked at him, saw his figure, and lived. Oh. So for most of us to see the figure of Adam would mean death was coming, but Abraham somehow was able to see the figure of Adam and live. He saw a light shining from within the cave and a candle burning. And here's that phrase again. Then he wanted to dwell in that cave. And his heart and desire were always there. Valibe ure habe tadir bamarata always there in the cave. Okay. I feel like I could just pack up and go home after that. I mean, I feel like that's all the partial we need this week, right? Like just to see that is like, wow, unbelievable. But what, <laughs> what the heck does it mean? Now uh, it gave us the Adam and Eve connection, but how, what, what is going on here? What is, what is, what is meant by this? That Abraham not only had a kind of a secret legend of his own, that, they, that he knew there was a cave and that Adam and Eve were in that cave. But, and, and not only that he had a sign to get there, but that he just, he wanted to be there. And that when he got there, he saw Adam and he saw the portal to the Garden of Eden. Okay, what is all? So that's, that's uh, Leah Matsui. We, yeah. I wanna go, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm not interested in going up on the ladder to heaven, particularly. I want to go back to the garden mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's like a reverse of birth. We're born from the dark place through blood, come out into a world of pain from usually someone who is in pain. Um, but this is rolling the tapes back to the beautiful place, the place where all our needs, the garden, all our needs are taken care of. It's usually guarded by the, is it a flaming sword that's going around? Okay, now we are, um, we get, we have a ticket. Uh, we'll, we'll get a pass back into the place where we began. And uh, it's, it's good. Good, good. Okay, Leah uh, does some, some marvelous stuff for us here. Uh, first of all, um, the, the reminds us that there actually was a guarded gate, right? That when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, there are cherubs who sit there with a, a, a sword and, 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 and keep them out of the garden. So maybe this, I think it's, I think it's very, that's a very strong reading to imagine that what, what we're really imagining that Abraham is able to do is to go past that gate and get back into the garden. But, um, but more, more, um, grander still uh, are Leah's um, uh, opening uh, thoughts, which which take us into the cave 
as a way of getting back to the garden, which was a place that presumably um, 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 one, one could live forever in, right? That there was some sense that the Garden of Eden represented eternal, innocent, happy life with the one you love, with all the animals and the trees around. But that's like, that's it, Adam and Eve in the garden forever. And somehow they lost that and they became mortal and they were kicked. We, Adam and Eve, people were kicked out into the world to grapple with everything that the world is, conflict and fear and struggle and pain and, um, and death, ultimately death. And the cave is like a, it's like an attempt to get, right? Ari said back to the womb. Um, and and that's that's one, one way of thinking about the, the, the search for life. But Leah says to get back to the garden, which is, to get back to a state of of eternity where I can, by reconnecting with Adam and Eve, I reconnect with the, um, you know, the 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 ones who would have lived forever, and maybe I could be with them as well. Okay. Um. Let me see here. I have only five minutes, so I think we better not not move into the this last text. I think we better not move back. I don't think we have time for this. No, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. All right, we're going to look at one more text and then I'll take a couple of last comments. But you have to see this. You just have to see this. There's another legend that we're going to move through rather quickly, but it's a totally different um, uh, approach to the drama of the cave. And I and I want I want to say, I see my mother has her hand raised and I want to say, um, I want to say that I, 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 I want to show this text because it also has a deaf uh, person in it, a deaf, uh, one of the, the famous um, deaf uh, figures in, um, in, 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 the, in the Midrash. So I want you to just take a look here at the, um, the, the arrival of Esau in this story. What, what happened to Esau? Um, and why would he be involved? And then um, uh, one of Jacob's grandchildren who is, um, comes up again and again in Midrash and is pointed out as someone who is who is deaf. So in honor of my mother, and also just so we have all the legends that we need, and then I'll come back and, and take her comments. But take a look at this, um, this bit here. This is from the Talmud. When they arrived at the cave of Machpelah, Esau came and tried to block them, saying to them, because the place is called Kiryat Arba, the, the cave of the four, the city of the four, so there should be four pairs in the cave, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, now, Jacob already buried, buried Leah in his portion, and so what remains belongs to me. And they replied to him, but you sold it. And he said, no, I sold my birthright, but I didn't say I didn't sell my, my right to the cave. Now, this is a strange idea to begin with, because Esau's saying there's room for four pairs. The, last, the first pairs are husband and wife. The last pair should be Jacob and me. We each have a right to that place. But Jacob gave one to his wife. I take the I take the remaining space. Okay, and then here comes um, the deaf grandchild. Um, and this is J Jacob's son Dan's son, whose name is Hushim. And Hushim doesn't know. They keep arguing, and Esau demands that they produce a proof of sale. Among those present was Hushim ben Dan, Hushim son of Dan, and he was hard of hearing. I don't know if he's deaf or hard of hearing, but the language is um, yakiran le udne. He like, something was wrong with his ear. Um, and so they asked him what is happening. 
And they said to him, Esau, he asked them, sorry, he asked them what's happening. And they said to him, Esau is preventing the burial until Naphtali returns from Egypt with a bill of sale from the land of Egypt. And so he said, is my grandfather to lie there in disgrace until Naphtali returns from the land of Egypt? So he took a club and struck Esau on the head so that his eyes fell out and rolled onto Jacob's lap. And Jacob opened his own eyes and laughed. Now, whoa. And I'll just give you one other version. There's another version that says, again, Hushim ben Dan, who had defective hearing and speech. I'm just translating literally. Same thing. What did he do? But this time he drew out his sword and cut off Esau's head with the sword. And they took and took the head into the cave of Machpelah. And then they sent his body back to his... Um... Now, gruesome, I know, but also fascinating. The idea that some, some legends have Esau fighting to get in there. And some of those legends even have Esau's head in the... So now we have four couples plus a head in the cave, right? So, okay, just a couple minutes here, but I want to give the floor to my mother for her thoughts. What are you thinking, mom? I'm so surprised to see a deaf a character there. But whoa, whoa, he's a violent one. It seems like why why is he cutting off his head? What's what's the uh what's what's the big deal here? Why is it, why would he go that far? Right. Good question. And it's a good it's a good question. And I think that part of the answer I think that this story is is struggling with the idea that a, a place, a plot of, of land, and especially um, like a sacred um, plot of land, people fight over it, right? And it becomes, um, uh, it becomes even in the, the third generation of a family, it becomes sacred to many people. And then, you know, I said that some of these legends, I almost wanted to, to escape from, from the news of the day, but the end of this one really takes us to where we're at. People still fighting over this cave, this plot of land, this. Um, and, you know, I guess that there's something sad about remembering that, that there's like, that, that even in our most ancient texts, we see battles over land and sacred space. But there's also something about this, story I, I kind of like that Esau's head ends up in the cave that is it, it's all you know a, it, the, the 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 battle between Esau and and Jacob um uh, which we we head into next week um is you know the continuing struggle and and, and conflict between um between siblings between family between cousins in our Torah but um we can see in this this legend of the cave that we assume that everybody is coming from a similar place, which is wanting to be connected to their ancestors and to their tradition and to their land. They, you know, that that there is some desire for us all to be gathered together with our with our people, and um, and it yes, it that leads to terrible conflict, but um, but it is. It's all rooted in this sort of these these shared sacred stories that we have, and um, and sadly we can't can't figure out how to how to how to how to work it all out. But like, but but it is important to remember that we have 
we have shared sacred stories and we have shared um, ancestry, you know? So um, yeah, continuing to trudge through the, the sad um, state of affairs in the world today, but uh, Hope Torah has been a little bit of a, a buoy for our spirits uh, as, we, uh, as we head into Shabbat. Wish you all a, a Shabbat Shalom and I'll see you all next week.